You know, many of our great hymns were written as a result of traumatic events in people's life. I don't know if you're familiar with that hymn or not, but Horatio Spafford, who wrote it, it was after some traumatic events in his life, the first with the death of his four-year-old son and the great Chicago fire Chicago Fire of 1871, which ruined him financially. He had been a successful lawyer, had vested significantly in property in the Chicago area, but was damaged by the Great Fire. And his business interests were further hit by economic downturn of 1873, at which time he tra- planned to travel to England with his family to help D.O. Moody in an evangelistic campaign. In a late change of plan, he sent the family ahead well, he delayed on a business concerning zoning problems following the Great Chicago Fire. Crossing the Atlantic Ocean, the ship sank rapidly after a collision with a sea vessel, the Loch Ern, and all four of Spaffer's daughters died. His wife, Anna, survived and sent him the now famous telegram, Saved Alone. Shortly after, Spafford traveled to meet his grieving wife. He was inspired to write these words as the ship passed near, where his daughter, daughters died. It is well with my soul. And that hymn, of course, encourages our hearts uh, in the days in which we're living. All right, Jude. Jude, chapter 1. We've been, the book of Jude, of course, is the, the theme is apostasy, which we believe is upon us, and uh, we've been talking about that and describing it uh, in some detail, as Jude does, and uh, these things are written for our warning, and I was thinking about that today, of course, I'm going to finish this book tonight, but. You know, just to give you another example of apostasy. Um, this is a this was in News Observer in September fifth, two thousand sixteen. Blessing of animal ceremony to take place in Raleigh. And I'm not going to give you the name of church yet, but anyway, Blank Church will hold its annual blessing of the animals and fundraiser for the Second Chance Pet Adoptions at four thirty p.m. Sunday, September eighteenth. The service is open to members of the public and their animal companions. Following a brief service, animals can receive an individual blessing. Animals of all types are welcome, provided they are on a leash or led or otherwise restrained, have current vaccinations as required by law, and have no communicable with diseases. I'm not sure if these are animals or their kids or what. Anyway, uh, those who have lost a pet may bring a collar, toy, photo, or other reminder for a blessing of memories. The service will be held in the grassy area behind the church. Please consider bringing a donation of money, cat or dog, and dog food, toys, cleaning supplies, and paper towels for nonprofit rescue group Second Chance Pet Adoptions. A rain date is set for September 25th. Now, this is at a church. <laughs> Millbrook Baptist Church in Raleigh. That was in 2016. I looked into their website, Millbrook Baptist Church. Um, a couple of things that were 
that were statements is immediately when you go to the website, the members of Millbrook Baptist Church are united by their claim that Jesus is Lord. We welcome into fellowship anyone who wants to love God and other people in a shared community. We strive to remain open and inclusive as we negotiate our differences with love one toward another. That, my friends, is liberal theology on steroids. All are welcome here. Once here, all are nourished, encouraged, and challenged in their faith journey. As we journey, we do so collectively, loving one another and trusting the path that God leads us on. We are travelers, and we're always looking for new companions. We believe that Bible study, worship, and prayer are essential for everyone. These activities of the local church are also important for cultivating the personal and communal virtues that mark the Holy Spirit's presence in our life, like the love we're meant to show our families and communities and the world. It's also affiliated with the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, and that rang a bell in my memory, because the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship was a fellowship that Jimmy Carter was kind of a, the kingpin of uh, for many years. Anyway, so, uh, and they also started what they call a New Baptist Covenant Celebration, and involved in this is a lot of Baptist fellowships, quote-unquote, and a lot of other church fellowships, and Cooperative Baptist Fellowship one of them. Anyway, they had one of these meetings on January 30th through February the 1st in Land, Georgia. Uh, this was uh, 2000. No, it was a year. I don't see the year here. Anyway, I think it was 2008, but don't quote me on that. Um, it was attended by around 12, ten to 12,000 people, and of course, Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, of, what, of, of which Millbrook is a, is a member, was part of that. Uh, Jimmy Carter, the main personality behind this New Baptist Covenant, said this. Uh, in his keynote address on Wednesday night, Jimmy Carter said, quote, There will be no criticism of others. Let me say again, no criticism of others or exclusion of any Christians who would seek to join this cause. Um, and and there, there was the desire was to transcend their differences and seek common purpose. Uh, Carter... Um, Carter acknowledged that there are many things that divide us, divide Baptists. He mentioned the issues of legalized abortion, homosexuality, women church leaders, and creationism versus evolution. And he said, those issues are like, quote, eating meat offered to idols, unquote. In other words, they are peripheral and non-essential and of no great importance. So it doesn't matter if you believe in creation or not, or evolution, by the way, which he does. He believes in evolution. He also believes in abortion uh, and homosexuality and women preachers and, you know, and all that stuff. Uh, at a special interest section on the theme, Can We All Get Along?, Pastor Gerald Durley of Providence Missionary Baptist Church in Atlanta said that Baptists need to get over their desire to convert everyone to faith in Christ and appreciate the beauty of religions like Islam. He said that John 14, 6 doesn't necessarily mean that Jesus is the only way to salvation and compared the various religions to a, and compared the various religions to a vegetable soup that is flavorable because of its diversity. Unquote. This is apostasy on steroids. Guess who one of the speakers was? 
one of our other former Southern Baptist presidents, Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton, in his book, his autobiography, My Life, described a visit to Haiti where he witnessed a spirit-possessed voodoo priestess bite off the head of a live chicken before the spirits left, and those who had been possessed fell to the ground. Clinton wrote, quote, Haitians' understanding of how God is manifest in our lives is very different from that most Christians, Jews, or Muslims. But their documented experiences certainly prove the old adage that the Lord works in mysterious ways. Unquote. You know, this is where apostasy leads us. And, you know, we, as Bible-believing Christians, are not to assume that anyone who says they attend church is of necessity saved. Because church means a multitude of things nowadays. In fact, the name Baptist means. The name Baptist you know, it's still an identifying mark. It identifies us as, as uh, uh, you know, baptism by immersion. Uh, it identifies us as, as uh, a liberty of conscience, you know, soul liberty. That, that's, a, that's a Baptist doctrine, and no other product or denomination uh, really has that, uh, which is upon which our nation's liberties is, are built. But, but, you know, beyond that, you know, a lot of Baptists are as liberal as, as anything else. Uh, in fact, by the way, Millbrook Baptist Church has three pastors, and they're all women. All women, every one of them. Uh, but this is, this is the apostasy. This is what's upon us. This is common in our day, and they, they believe that they're Christians. However, you know, they don't, they don't line up with the Bible. The Bible is not their final authority. But I want to begin tonight uh, in verse... In verse uh, 20, it says, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and of some have compassion, make a good difference. Others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. Tonight, we want building to prevent you from falling. Building to prevent you from falling. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to open your word. Thank you for the warnings, the instructions, and how it uh, instructs us and challenges us in our walk with you and, and helps us to grow in our understanding and learn. Uh, these truths, and I pray that you'd help us to beware of the wiles of the devil, and that we might be taken captive by him, by his snares, as many have been. I pray that you just give us wisdom and understanding in thy truth, and help us to apply the word of God to our lives. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, biblical accounts, and of course, life experiences real to us, reveal to us in the Bible, and as many others of you may know personally, the possibility of living faithfully uh, for the Word of God, even in the midst of difficult times. After all, it's the word, it's God that keeps us safe. And but the Bible here tells us, and other places, that we have a responsibility 
to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To build ourselves up. And so I have three main points tonight, and they're very simple. Build yourself, keep yourself, and claim for yourself. Claim for yourself. It's all of yourselves tonight. But these are things that you must do if you're, going to continue, if you're going to remain faithful, if you're going to keep yourself from falling. Uh, we have a responsibility to build ourselves. Verse 20 says, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. The word building here means to build upon. A build upon. It's, it's, it's where the sense is, okay, you're resting on your most holy faith as a foundation in other words, so make progress, rise like a building or an edifice, higher and higher. So, so you, ha- you have a foundation. What is the foundation? We know what the foundation is. It's what? Jesus Christ. So that's the beginning point. That's the new birth. And then he says we're to build upon that foundation. You know, 1 Corinthians 3 tells us to build upon that foundation, gold, silver, and precious stones. We're to build. Uh, Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, we're to add. Add to your faith. And he gives us uh, many things that we're to continually add. Uh, the, the idea is there to, like, to furnish. You, know, we, we, you furnish a house. You make it complete. Supply it. You know, the Christian buildings program is you know, built on that most holy faith. You know, we're to value that faith above everything else. Something for which we take great care, that we need to give much attention to and emphasis to, is our faith. Again, we're to make progress, like I said. So we keep adding to the structure. And it gets, you know, the idea is it gets bigger or more useful. It enlarges in use. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 19 through 22. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. <clears throat> Ephesians 2, 19. Now therefore ye are no more strangers or foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom also ye are and whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. And he's talking here to the churches at Ephesus, and he's emphasizing to them that, look, you're to build upon that foundation, the apostles and prophets, and Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. You know, the idea of a chief cornerstone is that it's the cornerstone that holds two walls together. It is the starting point. You know, it is, it is Christ that joins us to God, that gives us the life of God. It is Christ. Uh, he, so He is the cornerstone. It's, it's He that makes us accepted by God. You know, Jude uses three times in his epistle the, the, the phrase or the, the, uh, the term beloved. Verse 3, beloved when I gave all diligence to write unto you. Verse uh, 17, but beloved, remember the words which are spoken before the apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then again in verse, here in verse 20, but ye beloved. 
And see, Jesus Christ is that chief cornerstone. He's the one that makes us accepted by God, accepted in the beloved, Ephesians 1, 6 tells us. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So he is that chief cornerstone. He's the one that can give us salvation. So, so in Christ and the apostles... So he, but it also, you know, so he makes us set in above it. And the, he also joins us together as Christians into one body, the church. Again, when I say the church, I'm referring to the local church. It's the only church there is. The church. One body dedicated to God. And that is the New Testament church. You know, formerly, in ages past, under the law, there was the Jews, and then there was the Gentiles. And the Gentiles were considered outcasts. Dogs. You know, that's why, that's why when Peter went to Cornelius and he gets back home to Jerusalem, he's in trouble with those at Jerusalem because they were upset because he ate with the Gentiles. He went to the Gentiles. And so Peter rehearsed to them the matter the, the, from the beginning to the end, and then they, well, they, they, but you know, the church at Jerusalem had a continual problem with that. But Paul's saying here, look, in the church... It's not Jew and Gentile. It's one in Christ. It doesn't matter whether you're barbarian or Scythian, bond or free, Jew or Gentile, we're one in Christ. You see, it doesn't matter whether you're from the north or from the south. It doesn't matter whether you're from the east or the west. It doesn't matter whether you're from Hong Kong or, or Malaysia or, or, or Taiwan or wherever. If you're in a New Testament church, you're one in Christ. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. You'd be one in Christ. He has made us one in Christ. And so in Christ, in the apostles and the prophets, you know, start with Jesus. You know, Peter, James, John, John, Paul, Barnabas, Jude, all these under the writings given us, the writings under the direction of the Holy Spirit, told us to build our Christian lives to maturity. When Paul wrote to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11, he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making requests with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it's meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ, in this I pray, notice, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ under the glory and praise of God. He said, I would have your love abound more and more. In other words, I want you to grow. I want you to be built up. You know, there's no such thing as instant Christian maturity. By the way, there isn't any such thing anywhere in life. Instant maturity. It's a process. And that process we call growth. You know, we live in a society where young people think many times that they ought to have instant access to all the privileges and the things that their parents have who've been married 20, 30, 40 years. You know, I was thinking about this today. Why is it that human beings, when they are born, are the most helpless of creatures? 
You ever think about that? They are the most helpless of creatures. I mean, we had kids, goat kids, born. June 7th, I think it was. June 7th, okay? And we watched the process. And within minutes of being born, those goats were up staggering, them little kids were up staggering around and trying to nurse. And, you know, Mama didn't have to pick them up and lay them in her lap and, and get them to nurse. You know, within 30 minutes, both of those kids went to Mama and nursed. Within 30 minutes. Humans can't do that. They're the most, we, are the, we are the most helpless of creatures. At birth. You know, we could be very easily led astray at birth. I'm talking about spiritual birth. You know, missionaries often talk about one of the problems they run into in the mission field many times is, you know, they might be working with somebody and, and a person make a profession and a cult gets a hold of them. And before they get grounded, they lead them astray. They lead them astray. You know, we have to be careful that we get nourishment from the right source. You know, we need to build ourselves up. But you need to get that nourishment from the right source. The right source. We need to be seeking the Spirit of God's guidance. If you notice in verse 20, it says, building, but Ye, beloved, building up yourselves in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. You know, God has given us two things, two things, of divine interdirection or intervention or direction and help. And those two things, of course, are the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Now, the Spirit of God is the author of the Word of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. So, you know, the Bible says, the, the Word of God itself says in Psalm 119, verse 105, Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. 100, verse 130 says, The entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the people. In 1 Peter chapter 1, in verses 22 and 23, Peter says, or the Bible says, Seeing you have preified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not a corruptible seed, but incorruptible by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. And it's that word which can establish us. Uh, in Second Peter chapter 1, and I think I have the wrong verses here, uh, where it says in verse 7, be, Casting all care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the ought of all grace, who have called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. 
Actually, I was supposed to be in 2 Peter. That's why it looked wrong. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verses 1 through 5. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that obtain light precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus our Lord, according as His divine power hath given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith, virtue, and the virtue knowledge, and so on. So, so we have the Word of God to direct us, to build us up. We also have the Spirit of God. You know, when we, when we, get, we are born again, the Spirit of God takes up residence in our life. And His Spirit uh, bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. In fact, Romans 8 9 says, Any man have not the Spirit of God, he is none of his. So if, if a person doesn't have the witness of the Spirit of God in their life, it's because they're lost. They're lost. So He, he indwells us and He bears witness. You know, in Re- there's an interesting statement in Revelation chapter 1 and verses 9 and 10 where it says, you know, John, I, John, was, who also am your companion and our brother and companion in tribulation, in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that's called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. You know, he'd been banished to the isle of Patmos. Uh, you know, that's just a, basically a stone rock out in the middle of nowhere in the ocean. And, you know, he's been banished there uh, by himself, and, and, you know, because of the Romans, uh, you know, they, they spared his life, but that's what they did to him. And then he says in verse 10, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. You know, what does it mean, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day? Does it mean that that's the only day, the only day that John had the Spirit of God? No. You know, I, I believe what it means is that John was meditating. He was thinking on the promises of God in his word. He was in fellowship with his Lord. He was, as you will, having his devotions. He was meeting with the Lord, just him and the Lord. He was in the Spirit. He was under the direction and control of the Spirit of God. The, the Spirit of God was directing his thoughts in a special way at that time. It was just him and the Lord. And the, whole, you know, the Holy Spirit in those times gives us understanding. He gives us discernment for the right way. Wisdom for decisions in life. You know, if a person is truly born again they, and they have the Spirit of God, they're, they're, they'll have some discernment to know what is right and what is not. Even if they aren't thoroughly grounded in the things of God. I remember years ago, we were at her parents' house one time. And this older couple, they were older. They were probably the age I am now. But they were older then, you know. They, they stopped by to visit him because they had gone to his church that he had pastored some years before for a little while. Anyway, they got saved. They got saved. And they had, and, I have, and I've, I'm trying to remember all the details, but this, this stuck out in my mind. They, they, I think they were... They had attended church prior to getting saved at some denominational church. But they got saved, and I'm not sure of the means of how they got saved, but they went back to their church they'd gone to before, and they just said, and, he, and this is what the man said, something told me 
this was not right. This was not it. So he said we never went back there again. And we started looking for other churches until we found what the Spirit of God said was okay, was right. You see, the Spirit of God, you know, he, he wanted to do what was right. He wanted to please the Lord. He didn't understand all the doctrines and, you know, he wasn't thoroughly grounded yet. But it, the Spirit of God gave him discernment to understand this is, the Spirit of God's not here. It's not here. You know, John tells us in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 18. Little children, is the last time, and as you have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest, that they were not all of us. But ye have an unction. In other words, you have a witness. You have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. Verse 26. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. So there's going to be them that are going to try and seduce you. But the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you, and you need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, even as I taught you, ye shall abide in him. And so, you know, the Spirit of God bears witness to the truth. When you hear the truth, the Spirit of God is going to say, yes, that is truth. And when you hear something that's false, the Spirit of God is going to say, I'm not here. I'm not in that. I'm not in that. Yeah. We, we could rightly judge that God's not in this. The Spirit of God's not in this. Why? Because it's built on things that contradict what the Spirit of God gave us in His Word. So we need to be seeking the Spirit's guidance. So we need to build yourself. Secondly, keep yourself. Verse 21. Verse 21. Keeping yourself, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Now, keep yourself. The word keep means to guard, to prevent loss energy, or, or injury. You know, this is the point of this epistle or this letter. It is a thrust of the Holy Spirit through Jude to warn us to beware of certain men who creep in secretly. The word creep in that means that they settle in alongside. Stealthily, you know. You know, there's many things in the Bible that the Spirit of God through the apostles and prophets warn us to beware of. In Matthew 7, the Lord said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. In other words, they're going to come in looking like you, acting like you, settling alongside with you, saying they are one of you. Sheep's clothing. But inwardly, they are ravening wolves. Luke 12, 15. He said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. Paul wrote to the Philippians and said in Philippians 3, 2, Beware of dogs. That word dogs there means men of impure minds. And it's often used to refer to sodomites. Beware of equal workers, wicked or injurious. Beware of the concision. The self-righteous, the circumcision. You're trusting in their circumcision. He says to beware of all these. 
In Colossians 2.8, he said, Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. After the tradition of men, after the rudiments, in other words, the worldly principles or the things that, that pertain to this life, and not after Christ. Yeah, there will be and is those who deny the holiness of God. This, this is a denial of the holiness of God. That's what it is. It's, it's a making of a God they want to worship. And we have to be aware of those who would do that. You know, Hebrews 11, 6, the Bible still says, Follow peace with all men in holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Your holiness is the, probably the primary attribute of God. It supersedes all others. Peter tells us in 2 Peter 3, you know, again, we need to be aware of these. In verses 14 through 18, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, in other words, you're looking for a new heaven and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness, be diligent to be found of him in peace, without spot, there's your holiness, and blameless. Count that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. Even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do other scriptures under their own destructions. To take and say that, that, that you know, abortion, creation, and all these things are like eating meats offered to idols is resting the scriptures to their own destruction. And so he says, Ye therefore, beloved, verse 17, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away from the air of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. You know, there will be those who will be mockers and deniers of the Lord's coming. There are those who are mockers and deniers that God is holy and God expects His people to live holy. And we need to be aware of them. So we need to keep ourselves from them. We need to anticipate the Lord's coming. We need to be looking forward. forward. Verse 21 says, Keep yourselves in love, God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Looking for the Lord's coming. You know, we do, to, to uh, being prepared for it. You know, John tells us that he that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. Again, this is a matter of focus, a matter of priority. Because where or what our heart is set on, that is our God. And many times people have set their heart their hearts on themselves, what they want out of God, not who God is. We need to also have a genuine compassion for those in error or those who are lost. Notice verse 22. Let me read verse 21 and 22. Keeping yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and of some have compassion, making a difference. Others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. The word compassion means to succor the afflicted or bring help to the wretched. 
You know, making a difference here means, interesting, this is interesting to me, making a difference means to separate thoroughly, to withdraw from, to oppose, to discriminate. Now, that's a, that's a word we don't want don't to use today, discriminate. Do you know God's very discriminating? In the beginning, he separated light from the darkness, day and night. That's discriminating. He discriminated, or did he, between Cain and Abel based on their choices. And, and so we are, we're not just to have compassion. We need to have compassion, but we must have compassion for what is right. Love is not genuine without truth. Not genuine without truth. You know, why did Jesus have compassion on the multitudes? At what was his compassion directed? Their physical hunger? Was that what he was concerned about? You know, he did feed them twice. Well, Mark 6, 34 tells us this. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved compassion toward them. Because they were as sheep, not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. See, we need to have enough compassion to make a difference and to begin to teach and to separate truth from error for the purpose of bringing people to the truth, to Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Bringing them to an understanding of truth and separate from error. Looking for God. There's an interesting phrase here, and I'm still trying to mull over my mind exactly what that means. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ on eternal life. You know, I kind of have just, you know, my opinion here. Don't take it to the bank. You know, if it's like right on limb, you can cut it off. But, but, you know, looking for the mercy. In the context here, we're talking about. Uh, uh, giving the truth and saving people or pulling them out of the fire, having compassion upon them, looking for God to be merciful to them, but they need to hear the truth for God to, to receive of the mercy of God. To just have compassion without truth is, is, is the philosophy many parents try and what they do is enable their children in sin. That's not love. That's not love. That's coddling. That's enabling. You know, Jesus had compassion on people, but you know what he did? He also told them the truth. He told them the truth. You know, did the prodigal's father have compassion for his son? Was it only after he turned? Why did he let him go away? Did his father go after him, try and bail him out of the hog pen? No, he didn't. Does God have compassion for the lost? Will he then protect them from the consequences of their sin? The answer is no. It's their choice. 
in many times it's, it's the consequences of their choices. It was the consequences of the prodigal's choices that brought him to the end of himself and brought him back to his father. Who never ceased to have compassion on him. But that boy never knew the compassion of his father until he received the truth of his condition. Not until he said, how many of my hired servants have more than I? And I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to say, Father, I have sinned. Make me as one of your hired servants. I am no longer worthy to be called thy son. You know what we would call that? Repentance. I'm not worthy. But the father, you know what the father looked at him as? Still a son. But you know what? His inheritance was gone. There were consequences to his sin. He lost, he's, he's, he's already spent his inheritance. It's gone. But he was willing to accept the consequences of his choices. But his father forgave him. See, he had to come to the truth. He had to come to the truth. We have genuine compassion for those who are lost. And their greatest need is not physical. Their needs are spiritual. They need to understand the truth. They need to be warned and to beware that there is false teaching, that there's a false gospels, that there is a heaven and there is a hell. Thirdly, we must work earnestly. Verse 23 says, Others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. You know, this is, speaks of a zeal to witness the lost, knowing they're in fire, hell. The word pulling means to seize or to pluck or to take by force. It speaks of an urgency. It speaks of an urgency. And, and, and you notice... It's not a pretty situation. It says hating, you're pulling them out of the fire. It's like you're plucking them right off the the precipice of them dropping into hell because that's where they are. They're sort of like David who said there's one step between me and death. Zechariah 3. Prophet Zechariah says, And he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and standing... Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord hath chosen Jerusalem to rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Now Joshua, and here's the picture of a, of a sinner. Now Joshua is clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away those filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thy iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with a change of raiment. You know, it's a picture of salvation. We come to God filthy, sinners. And He takes our filthy garments, our filthy sin, and He puts it under the blood of Christ and takes it away, and He gives us new life, holiness, righteousness. But 
you know, sometimes in doing the work of the Lord, you can expose yourself to things that grieve your heart. That you hate. You know, he says here, hating even the garments that's spotted by the flesh. Things that can defile you if you don't keep a right focus. Think of Paul at Corinth. Paul was confronted with sodomy. He called them abusers of themselves and mankind. 1 Corinthians 6. Temple prostitution, which was an acceptable practice. Incest within a family, 1 Corinthians 5. Cross-dressers. I guess maybe they would call these transgender wannabes. He called them effeminate. All that's in 1 Corinthians 5 and 6. These were things that Paul confronted at Corinth. And these things have a potential to defile you. And, and he says that, you know, hating even the garments. We, we should have the attitude of our Lord when exposed to the ravages and the corruption of sin. How did he respond? Well, you know what the end of the consequences of sin is death. And at the grave of Lazarus, he wept. It can break your heart. But thank God we have a God that can deliver from the filthiness of sin. And so, others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments. Third thing we see here is claim for yourself God's promises. Verse 24, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory and exceeding joy, to the only was God our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. And we need to rest in the promises of God. We need to rest in God's ability. He is able. He is able to keep us from falling. He has supplied us with the, the things, the tools necessary to keep us from falling. He has supplied us with guards, heavenly guards. We have the Word of God and the Spirit of God direct us in a walk and within the safeguards of His kingdom. You know, the church is a visible manifestation of the kingdom of God on earth. And if you lived outside the guardhouse, you're open to the attacks of the wicked one. You know, a sheep outside the fold is vulnerable to wolves, to predators. God has given us New Testament church as a safe haven, a guardhouse, if you will, to keep you from falling. God is able to establish you and cause you to stand and be faithful. I like what Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And, of course, if you read on in chapter 8, verse 33 says, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. You know, we have, this, we have the Spirit of God who dwells within. We have the Lord Jesus Christ making intercession for us in heaven.
We have one that cares for us. We have His Word. It gives us wisdom for life's questions and challenges. Notice verse 25. To the only wise God, our Savior. He's the only wise God. The word only means soul, single, alone. He's in a class all by Himself. Romans 16.27 says, To God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. 1 Timothy 1.17, Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You need to claim for ourselves, ourselves, God's promises. And rest in them. Rest in them. When God makes a promise... Lay hold of it. Don't forsake it. Trust Him. He cannot deny Himself. And so, you're in the midst of a world that's changing. And many who are falling away. We can rest in the promises of God. As the lady is saying this morning, we have a God that never changes. We have His Word that never changes. We have the Spirit of God who will never leave us nor forsake us. All these things can keep us from falling. To being led away with the snare of the wicked one. But we have to be willing to allow him to work in our lives. We must nourish ourselves up in the most holy faith. Nourish ourselves. We must feed on his word. Might God help us.